Welcome to the Gin Ignite podcast. Whether you want to party or stay in, gin will ignite. This is the weekly show coming to you on a Friday, ready for the weekend, where we go through all things gin. If you want to find more out more information, catch me on Instagram at Gin Ignite or alternatively go to the website www.ginignite.com. Welcome to the show and let's get on with it. Hello and welcome to 2021. Hello and welcome to the Gin Ignite podcast and hello and welcome to episode 32. What a lot of welcomes, but we're in a new year. In this week's episode, I want to concentrate on five healthy habits for 2021. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, hold on a minute, Ben. You're a gin podcast. What has health got to do with a gin podcast? Well, let me tell you a little story. So there I was with a G&T in hand, thinking, what am I going to do next year? What are my kind of objectives for next year? And the first one was, let's keep it as it is. So let's talk about gin. Let's interview people about gin. Let's talk to distilleries, etc., etc., etc. Let's do a few reviews. Let's let's keep things pretty much the same. But secondly, let's look at mixology in a bit more depth because it's something that I've been really getting into. I've been getting into sort of creating cocktails and something that I've found really interesting. And I think quite a lot of people that have been looking at my feed, certainly on Instagram, have found interesting too. So I thought, Right, okay, well, I think that is something to to look at doing within the podcast too. And the third thing was health. As I said, you may think to yourself, "Mm, does it does do the two go together? Health and gin, really? Not quite sure. But they do. And the reason I can say that is because since November the year before last, yeah, I think that's right, yeah, that is right. I've been my goal weight. And I've still been drinking gin. So I've got to know one or two things about doing that. So hopefully the five habits that I come up with in this episode will help you with that. More about that in a bit. Now, it's been fairly quiet on the distillery front. And I think the reason is because they were absolutely manic up to Christmas. And I think they've all had to spend a bit of time regrouping a little bit having a rest, having a relax. And one of the reasons I know this is because Stockport Gin put a great post out, essentially just saying exactly that, that they were going to have a relax. But the one thing I really liked is they said, and we're going to make memories with our children. So not only are Stockport Gin great at their social media, great at just saying we're Cheryl and Paul and not to forget Steph. And here we are, here's our distillery. And being so open and honest about kind of what they do, they're also great parents as well. And I just had to get that out there because it really touched me. I thought that was a really lovely post to put out. Now, I'm hoping that things will change a little bit and I'll have a lot more to report, maybe some new gins to report next week. My weekly gin recommendation this week is Law Gin. The gin was introduced to me by Andy Riches when she sort of said, this is my favourite gin. And I got in touch with Luna, the L in Law Gin, and we arranged a date to speak about their gin. Now, luckily, it was a sort of a bit ahead of time, and they very kindly gifted me a bottle of their gin. 
And it kind of meant that I was really, really fully prepared, not only with my notes about law, but also I had tasted their gin, which was really, really nice. Now, the nose of the gin has a subtle aroma of lemons. The tasting sort of profile starts slightly sweet before going dry, and then you sort of get an elongation of the lemon, but with a sweetness, but it's just the right balance. At the end of the profile, you get heat from the alcohol and finally sort of a subtle, sweet flavour. You also get an interesting sort of flavour and sensation on the tongue, which I think is something to do with prickly pears, which is one of the botanicals. It is a very unique taste, and I think it comes down to Law's use of the alambic still. On doing my normal and adding Fever Tree Mediterranean Tonic, you get a very pleasant G&T. It's a really interesting taste profile, sort of a bit earthy. And the lemon that you kind of got when you tasted it neat is sort of somewhat dialed back. And I think that earthy taste led me to believe that this would be a great gin for a dirty martini and something a gin I've been looking at for ages to do a dirty martini. I hadn't really felt that kind of would sort of blend with the olives. But this, this gin sort of bonds to the olives and creates a fantastic taste but it's also a great gin for a variety of cocktails and if you look at my feed on instagram you'll see that i've tried quite a few and i've particularly played to these sort of orange and lemon botanicals it has a very proud place on my gin shelf although i'm not quite sure how long it's going to last because it's getting very very low it's the first of january 2021 and it marks the start of another year Now, it's a bit of a weird year because the pandemic is upon us and is likely to remain with us for quite a lot of the year. But one of the things it showed us, and certainly in the UK, in our first lockdown, I think a lot of people weren't expecting it. And a lot of people started working at home that perhaps weren't used to working at home. And and some people were on furlough. And what they found was effectively they were eating more. I think also probably because they were bored as well. And, you know, when you're at home and the fridge is there, you just kind of go and go to the fridge, don't you? And I think the same thing really happened in lockdown number two as well. Although, you know, we are sort of a bit more, we're sort of a bit more used to the whole thing. It was really still quite difficult. And now the UK, although it's sort of tiered effectively, is in the third lockdown for the vast majority of the UK now. And I thought, I want to take a bit of a stand and I was determined that we need to start thinking about our weight because in lockdown one and two, effectively, I didn't gain any weight. And I'm not saying that to sound amazing or anything like that. It's just because I followed a program. Now, I happen to follow intermittent fasting because that's the one that worked for me. So I know sort of Weight loss is sort of a very sort of taboo subject and one that sparks a lot of controversy. I know it's really dogged me for years and years and years. My weight has gone up and down, up and down, up and down. And it kind of gets kind of quite depressing, really, the whole weight thing. Now, I happen to have found intermittent fasting. That's the thing that works for me. But you need to find whatever works for you in order to, you know, have a sort of a long-term effect on 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 your weight. But I found five habits that really, really help, which is what I, this episode is kind of all about. And the first one is planning. 
can hear you saying it. Oh, here we go, planning. So boring. Why does planning work? So let me talk to you a little bit about my week. My wife and I sit down, usually the week before, and we plan out all our meals. So that might be we're fasting. Generally, we fast on a Monday and a Friday. And on a Wednesday, we tend to do sort of a bit of a lower calorie. So we'll we'll maybe have a breakfast and an evening meal. But the evening meal will be quite low calorie and we won't have any lunch. So effectively, because breakfast, we tend to have the same things. We wouldn't we wouldn't plan breakfast in, but we always plan in our lunch and dinner. And what it what it gives us is then a, a picture of your light for the week. And if obviously let's say we're later on in the year and one of us is going out, then we obviously mark that or, or we're both going out, then we would mark that obviously we don't need a, a, a meal. But what that does is it gives us basically a plan. Now what it also gives us is a chance to maybe look at the 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 meals and maybe we'll go oh actually if we had this meal and this meal we could utilize the same ingredients so we could actually save a bit of money effectively and when we've got we've sort of done all of that we then look at the at what we have and we basically create a shopping list now what we find now is we actually keep a lot of items in particularly in our freezer and I'll come on to that in, in a little bit. But we also have you know a few tinned items and a few items that we sort of keep in our you know our larder, as it were, or larder cupboard. Uh, we don't have uh, a larder as such. That's usually in a sort of a bigger, more grander house. But we but we have a cupboard that you know effectively call our larder, um, and we have some you know some spares in there. But as I said, we also have frozen items. Now, I was never really very good with the freezer. I, In fact, one of the things that I will talk in Habit 5 is trigger points. And tri- what I mean by trigger points is when effectively you go, oh, I haven't got this in, so I'm going to order a takeaway because I can't do the meal that I was planning. And effectively, you're, what you want to try and do is minimise your trigger points. So if you have... So, so another one for me was onions. I'd be going, oh, you know, I'm too tired. I really don't want to peel an onion. Oh, I can't do the meal that I want to do. Let's get a takeaway. And what we're trying to do all the time, or certainly for me, is trying to not have a takeaway at all. So there are other things that, again, will come in, in the rewards and triggers later on, how you can sort of counteract that. But for me, having frozen onions in, oh, and I appreciate it's a bit more expensive, but having frozen onions in means that I can just, I don't have that, oh, I can't be bothered to chop an onion. What, you can't be chop, bothered to go to the freezer bin and take out the onions you need and put them straight in from frozen. Oh, no, I, I haven't really got an excuse there. Also with peppers, for example, I chop up peppers and then I put them in the freezer. And again, I use them straight out of the, the freezer. It just means that for all my veg, pretty much, it's in the freezer, so it's all ready to go. And it just means that effectively you're planning ahead and you're giving your, yourself less of a chance to order that takeaway. Now, I'm not saying don't have takeaways. Absolutely not. I'm just saying just try and think around a bit of planning to, to get around those kind of things. The other thing is to make sure you sort of have additional condiments. And what I mean by that is things like you know, mustard, 
one big thing for me was actually ground pepper. And that sounds really weird, but I sort of got out of the habit of putting ground pepper on. And when you have sort of lower calorie food, adding pepper actually adds so much taste to it. And the other thing that adds taste to it is, uh, how can I describe this in a in a good way? So if you use a a normal pan, so not a non-stick pan, but a normal pan, and if you cook onions, after a while, the onions will start to dry out and they'll, you'll start to get brown in the pan. Now, I'm not talking about black. If you get black in the pan, that is burnt. But brown means what a lot of people would consider is burning. That's fine, it is, but it creates a lot of taste. So what I would tend to do is I would cook my onions, wait for them to brown, and then what I do is I add some water to them. And what that does is it takes the brown away, but obviously you're still retaining the taste. I would cook it down again, allow it to go brown, add some more water. And I'd do that a third time. And then once I got to that point, then I'd add some additional greens, which which will add some some water. So if you if you add some peppers, for example, if particularly if they've been frozen, that will add some natural water. Otherwise, you know, if it starts going brown again, then you just add some more water, even if you've got some additional ingredients in there. And water is really, really effective for that. And it, it means that you get some really great taste. And also, certainly if you're monitoring your calories, so obviously the, there are various diets that you can do, but one of the diet methods, if you like, is to, to follow, to, to monitor your calories. And certainly with intermittent fasting, I would always monitor my calories, even on a non-fasting day. And you would be amazed at some of the things that you can have and you think, oh, that'd be loads of calories. And then you actually work it out and it's not very many calories at all. Honey, particularly for me, I thought it would be hundreds of calories. And I think it's only something like 49 for a tablespoon. So I have that on my honey and it feels very decadent. The next thing to sort of think about and the next habit to get into is monitoring your statistics. And obviously the primary statistic that you want to monitor is your weight. Because obviously you want your weight to be going down. Now, with regard to weighing yourself, I would always recommend only doing it once a week and I would always do it at the same time in the same place. So, for example, I always do it around about sort of half six on a Saturday morning because that's when I'm getting up to, to walk my dog. So it doesn't have to be half six or, you know, I'm not saying that's the exact time that you should use, but, but effectively a similar kind of time on a day. Try not to get into the habit of weighing yourself every day because it will go up and down and you'll really depress yourself. The next thing to, to sort of monitor is your calories. Now, it depends on the kind of diet you're doing. Obviously, if you're doing something like Weight Watchers, you might be monitoring points. If you're doing Slimming World, you might be monitoring sins. But calories are really, really interesting anyway to sort of get into monitoring. And you, they don't have to be difficult the best way to do it, I find, is I have an app on my phone uh, from a company called NutriCheck, and that is absolutely brilliant. At it's called a calorie counter, I believe. It, it's absolutely brilliant at monitoring your calories, and what it does is it allows you to create your own meals. So that effectively, you can say, "Well, I normally have this for breakfast," so you can just one click, and basically, you've you've added breakfast. And, and all the things that you have for breakfast. The same, you know, if you have 
I don't know, a Massaman curry or something like that with rice. You can add all of that into your meal and then effectively just click that one meal and there you go, you're done. Initially, it probably takes a little bit more time, but as you add more meals to your repertoire, then you can just add those meals in and it makes it really, really easy. Other things that I think are really good to, to monitor and are useful at sort of monitoring your, you know, how you're doing is your BMI. So your uh, body mass index. Essentially, as you lose weight, you should also see that coming down and your body fat percentage as well. You should also see that coming down as you lose weight. Also, if you have a smartwatch, monitoring your steps is really useful and monitoring your resting heart rate. And you'll gradually see that. So if you look at my resting heart rate, for example, it's come up massively over the Christmas period because I've been eating too much. I haven't been intermittent fasting. And yes, I have been exercising, but not perhaps or I've been exercising, but I've been exercising not enough to counteract what I'm putting into my body. And exercise sort of leads me on to habit number three, which is get some exercise. And it doesn't have to be join a gym. The one thing you want to make sure is don't bite off more than you can chew. Don't try and run before you walk. All those metaphors, essentially what I'm saying is just do things slowly but surely. Just, for example, go out for a walk. Try and walk once a day for 10 minutes. That's all you need to do, once a day for 10 minutes. And then maybe make it 15 minutes and then 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Now, obviously, you know, it depends on how much time you have during the day as to how much, you know, time you can you can add to that. But going for a walk does not take up too much time. It also does not really cost much. Joining a gym does cost a lot. And certainly, if you're like me, you know, I joined a gym and then initially I was really, really good and I went to the gym all the time and then gradually I didn't go and didn't go and I was just spending money and not going at all. So it really is important to maybe just build up slowly and by all means, you know, if, if gym is something that, that works for you, then, then, then do that. But the walking thing, you know, I do about two and a half hours of walking a day and it really does keep me fit and healthy. Obviously, at the moment, not so much because I'm eating too much and drinking too much, perhaps. Then, um, you know, that that's not going to do it. But I know that come from now onwards, I will be doing intermittent fasting and I will be gradually losing the weight and getting it back to where it should be. And it won't take very long for me to, for, to, to do that. Habit number four is routine. Ooh, I know, another boring one. But if you are following a plan or a program, just make sure that you, you you follow that. Fairly straightforward. But if you keep doing it each day, you will gradually develop it into a habit and a routine and it will be just become, oh, that's the norm. Try and consume whatever it is that that program recommends. So, for example, as a general rule, if you're following a calorie control diet or you're following intermittent fasting, generally males need 2,500 calories a day, females need 2,000 calories a day. So that gives you a kind of general rule to follow and the amount of calories that you can have. I would always recommend that you either have one day off a week 
or at least one meal off a week where you don't really worry what you have. And I also would strongly recommend that you look at having filling food so that it tries to stop you from snacking. By that, I mean things like, for example, I have porridge each day for breakfast. Now, it's not everybody's cup of tea to have porridge. and I'm not saying you must have porridge for breakfast, but porridge has got oats in. And the great thing about oats is they are slow release energy. So it means that you're less hungry, as it were, for a longer period of time. And um, your, you know, your energy, the energy is being released slowly. So, so effectively, you, you kind of stop snacking, really. And I think also the one thing a routine builds up, because there is no easy way to losing weight. There is no kind of magic bullet that you can take to, to lose weight. It is dependent on your kind of mental ability to say, I will not put the wrong food in my mouth. Ultimately, that is what it's all about. A routine really helps you to build that sort of mental fortitude to not putting the wrong thing in your mouth. And lastly, habit number five is understanding your trigger points and thinking about rewards. And what I mean by that is try and hide away those takeaway menus so they don't kind of are not in your face, particularly around meal times. Think about things like my example with onions, where you maybe have a frozen onion in. So you don't have that trigger point. Oh, I can't cook a meal tonight because I don't have this in. I have very recently got into liking the freezer before I used to have maybe have whole meals in the freezer. And you'd be like, oh, I've forgotten to take it out of the freezer. So effectively, we can't have that meal tonight. Oh, we'll order a takeaway. Anything would trigger a takeaway. And what you're trying to do is not do that. So trying to understand, and only really you can understand what your trigger points are. So the other thing, for example, for me was I want to order a takeaway. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a frozen pizza in my freezer. And why I'm going to do that? Because when I go, oh, I'm going to have a takeaway, in my head I'm going to go, oh, no, but you've got a frozen pizza in, 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 the, in the freezer, so you can have that. What does that do? Well, it, it, it solves two particular issues. One, I'm not going to have the takeaway. So I'm, yeah, I'm going to have more calories probably with a frozen pizza than perhaps what I'd planned. But still ticks the box that I'm going to have less calories than I would with a takeaway. And number two, a frozen pizza doesn't cost very much money. A takeaway does. So I'm going to save myself money, which is really, really important. As I said, you know, one of the trigger points that... I, I kind of had with particularly when I was doing Slimming World and Weight Watchers was it was really, really hard because effectively six days a week you were really working hard to get those calories down. And particularly Weight Watchers at the end, kind of getting to goal, I plateaued quite a lot. So effectively I wasn't losing weight or in fact I was putting on weight when I didn't think I should be really. I found that having the one day off or one meal off a week really, really helped me and I could sort of look forward to that. So it was kind of almost a reward to look forward to. The one thing I like about intermittent fasting, and I'm just going to, you know, I, I, I don't, I, as I said, I, I think you need to find your own way. But the one thing for me, for example, with intermittent fasting that really works is 
something that, that somebody said to me very, very early on. When you're on a fasting day and you're only having 600 calories and I tend to do a fairly extreme version of intermittent fasting where effectively I'll stop eating maybe at half eight, nine o'clock the night before. I won't eat till maybe uh, half eight, nine the, the, the next day and I'll have my breakfast and then I won't eat again until breakfast the next day. So effectively I have 24 hours fast. Well, effectively, I have 12 hours fast and then 24 hours. Now, that is quite extreme. What I found is about 6 o'clock on the day of fasting in, in the evening, that was when I was starting, or maybe 4 to 6 o'clock, that was when I was starting to get really hungry and I really, really wanted something to eat. But the one thing this person said to me was, you can always have it tomorrow. And I found, so with Weight Watchers, you were kind of looking forward to... So my sort of off day used to be a Saturday. You were always looking forward to the Saturday. The great thing with intermittent fasting is you're just looking forward to tomorrow. So I want a bar of chocolate. Well, I can have that tomorrow because I'm on a non-fasting day. That for me was a real, real reward and, and really helped me kind of keep going. The other thing to really look at from a reward point of view, which I think is really, really important is... Think about how you're going to reward yourself when you get to certain goals. So whether you monitor yourself in kilos or pounds or stones, when you get to a certain weight, what reward are you going to give yourself? You know, is it I'm going to give myself an additional day off and have a really nice meal? Is it I'm going to buy that pair of jeans that I've really wanted for ages? Is it I'm going to, I don't know, give myself a, a token or something, but but really reward yourself when you get to certain goals. It really is important. I hope that's helped. I hope that those habits have, have really helped you sort of going forward. It's really important to plan, monitor your statistics, do some form of exercise, but, you know, don't, don't push yourself. Just a walk is fine. Look at implementing a routine and sticking to it and think about your trigger points and your rewards. My Instagram shout out this week is Laura at Loopy for Scottish Gin. I really, really enjoy a lot of her posts. I particularly enjoyed her last one, which was a Care Bear post. And I think really she's right. Only the Care Bears can save us in 2021. You know, it seems so we, the goalposts sort of keep moving, certainly in the UK for, for with regard to the pandemic. So I think, you know, care bears to the rescue as far as I'm concerned. I also loved your post on gunshot gin. I was really interested that it sort of came about by one of the sort of key jam makers sort of finding that she had a load of excess stuff and, and she started to mix it together to, to form a gin. And I really liked the one you were talking about and really the colour of the gunshot gin because it essentially has local honey, mixed spice, cinnamon and cloves aged for three to four months. And I agree with you, it probably is more than a liqueur than a gin, but it looks absolutely amazing. I can th see so many applications, you know, maybe in some cocktails and that kind of thing. It looks really, really interesting. I found the post you did on Britannia Gin really, really interesting. And it sounds as though it is really difficult to get hold of. And it was really good that the Pickering's website sort of managed to, to allow you to, to get hold of it. Because obviously going to Edinburgh to visit the Royal Yacht, which was obviously the other way of doing it, Sounds 
you know, sort of quite complicated. It really does sound a very complex sort of botanically rich gin. Absolutely in keeping with its namesake with some of the botanicals coming from far and wide for where Britannia's been. I also like your post on the Isle of Butte gin. I've heard a couple of people sort of particularly on Instagram absolutely raving about it. And as a martini lover, I really like the idea of their oyster gin that they produce. And uh, I realised that obviously that was a bit your recommendation too. Your post on Misty Isle Gin was really interesting and it definitely caught my eye with those 11 botanicals. I also love the fact that it was from the Isle of Skye. Now, I don't know whether whether you know or you've tried it, but I can thoroughly recommend Lind and Lime Gin. Obviously, Ian Sterling was was on the podcast last week from the Port of Leith Distillery. Really, really worth trying this lovely Scottish gin. And I've got to be honest, a bit like my law gin uh, there's not a lot, lot left because i've been really really enjoying it but it's a lovely kind of uh, citrus based london dry you know it's got definitely got uh, definitely sort of juniper lead in there but it's got the the pink peppercorns as well which really sort of balance it it's, it's absolutely gorgeous it really is so definitely uh, worth worth a try that one keep up what you're doing absolutely loving it thank you very much for supporting the at Jen Ignite and the podcast and I will be adding you to my stories all week. I would love to hear from you if you want to get in touch at Jen Ignite on Instagram or Twitter or gin.gossip at ginignite.com if you want to do it via email. The thing that I like about the gin community that I've met so far is that nobody judges anyone for what they believe, what they look like or who they choose to be. The world would be a better place if everyone took that view. Grab your drink, toast those you love, enjoy your weekend and whether you decide to party, although you may not be able to because of COVID, but there you go, or stay in, I will be with you in spirit. Seriously though, enjoy your weekend and I look forward to joining you for another episode next Friday. Cheers!